Being categorized as disabled or handicapped can feel like you're moving forward in reverse. I'm your host, Scott Martin. Join me as I talk with my new friends from this underrepresented community about their views of life through their art, poetry, sport, and writing. Hey, life's a road trip. Hop in. Let's turn on some tunes and go. In the passenger seat and managing the radio during our 30-minute road trip today is Chris Kuehl. Chris is a blind writer, editor, and advocate for the blind. Chris is also the president of local NFB chapter, serves on the NFB of Connecticut uh, Board of Directors, as well as Board of Directors for the BESC, uh, the Connecticut State Agency for the Blind. His articles, essays, and stories have appeared in a number of literary and, this is interesting to me, Chris, not so literary publications. <laughs> We're going to get into that. So uh, good morning, Chris. How you doing? Good morning, Scott. I'm doing very well. Yourself? I'm, I'm doing well. Now you're on the East Coast. We're I in am. single digits here in central Wisconsin. What's yeah. the weather like out there? Uh, it is. So it's 20 degrees today. And, oh. you know, I just, I heard across the street and, and, and a few houses down from me, some guys are roofing. And, you know, <laughs> oh you can hear that, the, uh, the, what do they call it? A nail gun. And yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, you guys really should have done this. <laughs> oh, my A couple months God. ago. Uh, Holy cow. Maybe they just discovered the problem, but it, it, that can't be very pleasant. Uh, well, we've got a front coming in tonight. We might be getting hit with four to eight inches of snow. That's going to put us over a foot on the ground. Do you have any snow out there? Uh, at the moment, we don't. We, we've okay. had snow so far this season but only maybe two inches where I live, but it's, it's inevitable. Yeah, it's inevitable. You know, it's, I used to live in Vermont. And so I lived in Northern Vermont. And mm. when we moved to Connecticut, we were basically wearing shorts and t-shirts because we thought these people are babies. They don't, they don't know what real cold <laughs> is. And I imagine I totally where understand. you are, it's probably quite chilly and snowy most of the time. So, uh, yeah, and I actually lived in Las Vegas for five years too, so I understand that aspect of the other side of it. And yeah. uh, it is a dry heat. <clears throat> um, so I want to back up for a second. Not so literary publications. What is, what does that mean, Chris? Well, you know, there are a there, there's a million online journals out there. You know. Anybody who has a computer can basically launch a literary magazine or a so-called mm. literary magazine if they wish. And rather than listing, so when I, when I used to send out work, you know, often they want clips. They want to know where your work was published. And, okay. and it's great to say that your, your work was published in the Saturday Evening Post or the New York Times or the Paris Review. But, you know, the the Spillway Review, the the, the this review or that review that nobody's ever heard of. I just kind of summarize that. And I, I try and inject a little humor into my writing where I can. And so rather than listing out all the magazines, uh, you know, some literary and some not so literary magazines. Okay. So, I totally some that I'm very proud of and some that uh, it, it's a clip, you know, but it doesn't mean a whole lot to a, an agent mm -hmm. or an editor. Now you're the editor in chief of a literary magazine, online literary magazine called breath and shadow. Um, First thing comes from that is define what breath and shadow. What is what does the title mean? Well, the title comes from a quote 
by Sophocles. And the the title the, the title predates me. Um, the person, a, a woman named Sharon Watchler, uh, started the literary magazine in 2003. And she, the quote goes something like, you know, life is nothing more than breath and shadow. Got it. Um, there's also a, a quote in Hamlet that is very similar. Um, and what is implied is that there are a lot of nuances in life and you can't just encapsulate it in, in one or two terms. So I, I think the philosopher used those words to indicate there's a lot that we don't know and don't see. And those are important aspects of being a human. Um, and from my understanding, that's why Sharon came up with that as a title. I just love that. You know, I wasn't aware of it. You actually, we got together because when I tr went out and tried to, uh, uh, looking for a publisher, and that's one of the things you and I need to talk about, cause that's another similarity and we'll get into those <clears throat> with my, um, yet to be published memoir, play from your heart. <clears throat> I sent you the opening chapter, which is titled soccer rats. And you came back to me with, Hey, I really like this finish it up a little bit because these, uh, the readers are only going to be reading the one chapter to get a taste for it. Totally understand it. You asked me to add a little bit towards the end of it to allow the reader to kind of find an ending. And of course, in the real book version, it's going to be to get right. the reader to go to chapter two. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and looking through breath and shadow, you know, I've got this up as one of the items that I go to and I'm going to be, uh, looking in the future for, uh, guests and I'm going to be going through your magazine and and uh, some other ones that I've I come across to try to find interesting people like you um, to get into the handicapped and disabled arena of what it's like and and you know when you just told me about what breath and shadow means wow I mean it's so reflective on some of the things that we go through and that we maybe we've learned or we've had the opportunity to learn because of what we've gone through. Um, becoming handicapped or disabled. Um, you know, you mentioned before, and I, I re read this up about you, you got a PhD in chemistry. So how did that get into you writing? I have a feeling what it's about, but go ahead if you could tell us about well, it. Well, so I, uh, I always liked science as a kid and I did uh, quite well. I got my first job as a chemist when I was a senior in high school. I was a, a I didn't really care for high school. I'll be honest. I was a co-op student. So I went to school half a day and then I washed dishes at a Marriott hotel for the other half a day because I needed money to go to college. Mm -hmm. uh, I, at that time, I was taking chemistry two um, as a senior and a, a small business called Alex Freeze, uh, who makes flavors and fragrances, were looking to hire a high school kid in the afternoon. It was like it was like divine intervention. Um, mm. The teacher made an announcement that they're looking for a kid. Most of the kids are, you know, couldn't go because they're in school all day. But I happen to be a co-op student. So I applied for the job, got the job. And that was my first real experience with chemistry working in a lab. And I, I very much enjoyed it. And it gave me a huge advantage when I went to college. Because, again, I, I had friends who pretty much threw a dart at the, you know, the course list <laughs> and mm. to pick a major, you know, cause well, you know, it's hard when you're 17, 18, 19 years old, you don't exactly know what you're 
want to do in your life. Some people do. I knew I wanted to be a scientist, and so I, I pursued chemistry. Um, so I, I, I got my bachelor's degree in chemistry. I got my PhD in chemistry. I got hired by a, a Swiss chemical company, um, moved to Connecticut. I had a successful career going for about seven years when I uh, lost my sight due to diabetic retinopathy. Okay. And um, my whole world got turned upside down, as I, I assume a lot of your listeners and a lot of your future guests will will also say. I mean, everybody's got a different pathway, but mine was from being on the, you know, getting ready to be promoted to being out of a job and not having any idea of how to live in a world of darkness. And it was, it was a very dark period because my wife and I, we had two kids. I had a, a four-year-old and a nine-month-old. And, you know, I, I, it, was a, it was a tough time. So that's, that's what I want to get into with, with that aspect. Let's, all right. So well, I'm going we'll to let we'll you back to continue second. going. Let me, let me just yeah. finish telling you this. Uh, uh, the, the person to thank is actually my brother. So what happened is my brother, I have a, I have a, I'm, I'm one of six kids. I have a brother that lives in Boston. And he said, Chris, you know, you're, you're a smart guy. You're experienced. Why don't you try writing science articles? And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, you yeah, know, this, this is a good idea. Makes I sense. could be a freelance writer. And so I tried, I tried. <clears throat> and I, you know, I sold a few articles, but very few, you know, my first year, I maybe I made 300 bucks <laughs> writing. Mm-hmm. And so that wasn't really panning out. Um, I joined a support group, which was one of the best moves I ever did. I joined the National Federation of the Blind. And at this time, it was probably 1999. Um, it was back in the days when ATM machines all had Braille on them, but there was no speech output. Or no way for, you know, so a blind person theoretically could push the buttons, but there was no way they could read what was on the screen Mm -hmm. to know what information was being asked for. And a a local bank was trying to encourage people to use the ATM machines rather than using a live teller. So they started charging $3 for a transaction. And this came up at one of our NFB meetings. And that's really where things clicked for me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to write an op-ed to the newspaper because this is outrageous. Um, so I did. I wrote uh, an op-ed that got published in the Harper Current and the Connecticut Post. And uh, later on, I think it was uh, republished in the Washington Post. And so I, I had a little success with writing. <coughs> and so I, I wrote a number of essays about blindness as I was going through it and like I wrote an article called Tips for the Newly Blind Diabetic because you don't know mm. anything about mm-hmm. being, you know, how to operate as a blind person and manage your diabetes. For instance, you know, a, you know, a glucometer has a, a printout screen. You, you know, when you test your blood sugar, you can't tell what it is. How do you pull up your syringe when you're you're trying to load the right amount of insulin? So there's a lot of information out there that I had to discover. Um, so I summarized it in an article and I wrote this article <clears throat> and I tried getting it published in some of the, like a diabetes forecast, for instance, and I got rejected. And the reason I got rejected, what I was told is that, you know, we don't want articles about the complications of diabetes. We only want like stories what? where people overcome uh, and, and are successful 
diabetics. We don't want any sadness, quite honestly. Um, so, so while that was going on, um, I happened to meet, uh, uh, I met a, a number of blind people and I met a woman in the town next to me who was blind and we got to know each other. And she told me she had a blind friend who was a writer in West Virginia. And we started emailing back and forth and we became friends. And that's when I started writing fiction and really deciding that I was going to try and make writing my new career. All right. So first of all, I, I want to remind myself and I, I have a count up timer to make sure that we stay within the rails because if you and I were to be sitting in a pub, we'd be talking oh, we'd be here for a few hours, man. Oh, <laughs> speaking of pubs, uh, one of the photos I found of you uh, on the front, it's people understanding blindness. And of course the P, the U and the B are all dark. And I thought, oh, wow, that's so cool. That's they're known as pub. I wonder how they, you know, if they do get together in pubs and sit around and talk about stuff. Um, I want to kick back for just a second. So 35, uh, I mean, it's, you can't just say one day you woke up and you're blind. Correct. So at, at 35, at 35 is when I woke up from a coma to find out I was missing hands and parts of my feet. And there goes yeah, my yeah. soccer coaching. So, I mean, I, I'm, you were 35. How old are you now? I'm 60. Uh, okay. So I'm a little bit older than you. So, and you know, and it was, you know, it, it was both Scott, it was both too fast and slow. Mm. Like I know I, 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 one of the first blind people I met in Connecticut was a woman named Joyce who went in for open heart surgery and never saw again, you know, they, they fixed her wow. heart, but what happened is she had so much blood loss. Your eyes require a lot of oxygen and of course okay. the oxygen gets to your eyes through uh, blood. So if you have major blood loss, um, your, your optic nerves basically fry and, and you go blind. I have a, I have another friend, Al, who was unfortunately in a motorcycle accident. So, you know, he's one day he's driving down the road, he gets hit by a car and he wakes up in the hospital in a body cast and he's blind, you know? So I didn't have that experience. Um, uh, you know, diabetes, the complications of diabetes are circulatory in nature and blindness, unfortunately, happens uh, a lot of the time because you, you don't have enough blood flow to your eyes. So it's a similar mm. situation. And what happens is in a diabetic, in the case of a diabetic, you grow new, weak, kind of crummy blood vessels in your retinas and they burst. And so when I was about 32, 33, I started having some blood in my eye. I had floaters. I had surgery. And my right eye, which was worse off, and unfortunately, I never was able to see out of that eye again. I got about two years out of my left eye, but slowly, the same thing happened. I just, my my eyesight deteriorated. So over the course of a, a, about two years, I went from, you know, working, driving, life as most people live it, to to being a blind guy and not having any clue what to do from here. And you mentioned earlier about um, the online magazine that only wanted to to print happy-go-lucky stories. Uh, yes. It makes me think of, <clears throat> um, at a certain point, I started becoming more comfortable with understanding and accepting. <clears throat> I approached um, uh, uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs and see if I could help and offer my services to meet with people that were coming back from the wars at the time that were amputees. Yeah. And one of the doctors just grabbed us. Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. 
he started going up the ladder and he kept getting blocked. I said, I'll do it for free. I don't care. Oh no, we want to be able to, you know, really have an effect on things, but he kept being blocked. So I don't understand. And maybe this is something that we're finally getting into in our society that we're being open and honest about everything, because that's something that people have to be able to come to grips with, you know, with and, where and we're people, at. You know, generally speaking, again, we, we all know this, uh, I'll throw out Ukraine, you know, mm, life is one. horrible in Ukraine mm-hmm. today. Um, if you know, you could spend all your days going online and seeing videos and just, just seeing all the horror, but we as human beings, that's, it's, it's depressing and it, and it gets you down. And so while that is possible, most people don't do that. They prefer to watch a video of a cat playing with a ball of yarn, you know, mm-hmm. it's just nice. Yeah. And, you know, for years, I'm a, I'm a scientist and I'm a diabetic and I have always been interested. And so I subscribed to a variety of diabetes magazines. And it wasn't until I lost my sight that I realized they never, ever print articles about people going blind. Um, you know, occasionally they'll write an article about someone having a kidney transplant, but it's all very positive. It's very up. Um, it's, it's very upbeat. And, you know, and again, that's. That's what sells yeah. magazines for them. That's that's the way they that's want to That's what they're in the business it. to do. Yeah. Um, I'm a little surprised to hear that you had trouble at the VA because oh. <laughs> I've heard here in in Connecticut there's a there's a VA in West Haven and it's a from from the vets I know who have been there they they say it's a, it's a fairly incredible place and mm. they really bend over backwards to try and help people and one of the things they did years ago I don't I don't think it's still true but they had a blind. Um, therapist. And she told me that the thinking was that, you know, a, a wounded vet comes in and he sees a, a woman who's totally blind, but is, is living her life. She's overcome her problems and that can help. Um, and I, I met a, a vet. I met a guy who was unfortunately was shot in the head in Afghanistan, lost his sight. And I met him working on a Habitat for Humanity house. And he was a great guy. He was very inspirational and, you know, I don't know if the, the VA uses him, but, but they should. Yeah, <laughs> they know? should. Because he's a guy uh, who has a, a positive attitude and, and, you know, we can meander around subjects all day. But I've noticed in my observation, you know, when, when I went blind, I had never met a single blind person in my life. Interesting. Um, now I know literally hundreds. And... I know a lot of success stories and those are the people that I want to surround myself with. But I know a lot of blind people that, you know, they say, I can't, they sit at home they're They feel sorry for themselves. And it's, and it's, it's, it's a complex issue because mm-hmm. there's custodial, you know, people that they're born blind, often they're raised with very low expectations. You know, people think mm-hmm. they're blind. They, yeah. can't, they can't do this. They can't do that. See, I was blessed in that I was born somewhat arrogant <laughs> and <laughs> I feel like honesty. <laughs> I can, you know, if there's other blind, and that's true. My, first of all, I, I have to thank my wife because she found a blind support group for me and she's a, like it or not, you're going to this blind support group. Yeah, there you go. And I remember the first meeting we went to, we're driving, we drove to Hartford, Connecticut. And she said, Oh, these must be your new blind friends. I'm like, 
Where? What are you talking about? She's like, what? there's like a gaggle of blind people walking down the street with long white canes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that must be them. Gaggle. So we, we met up with them at a restaurant and I, I talked to these people and they were all, you know, capable, competent, blind people. And it, what I took away from it is if they can do this, I can do it too. I've just got to figure out. Mm. Um, and, and we all have and to And unfortunately deal with not everybody stuff. embraces that. And then again, yeah. it's complicated. I don't want to get down on people because everybody has their own issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm a, I don't believe in, I can't, you know, I, right. I think there's, you know, and I, I could regale you with tales of figuring out ways to mow my lawn. We have a, mm. we have a, a house and a, and a, a two car garage with a, with a loft that I painted. Um, and it's all a matter of using your brain and figuring out, okay, how can I do this? How can I mark off things off so I know what I've done? I, you know, mm-hmm. mark things off so I know what I haven't done. And then, of course, have side. You know, my wife comes out and says, "Hey, you missed a spot over here," you know, and and fix it up. But I don't let things, you know, for the most part, I, you know, I do whatever I can because I want to live. You know, life is for living. I yeah, exactly. You know, I am not going to sit at home. Yeah, some years ago, my mother told me like, "You're getting old. You got, you know, you shouldn't be out there shoveling snow because we had." One winter we had a ton of snow, and uh, like, mom, what, what else am I gonna do? <laughs> yeah, really. Somebody's got to shovel the snow, and I'm too cheap to <laughs> hire somebody. So, uh, so I'm gonna go out and shovel. Yeah, I mean, we we have to come around. You know, when I'm, I'm always gonna be open and honest about this, just as I'm getting started with this podcast, I started this to solve a problem with, okay, publishers love my story, and yeah, 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 but you need a platform. Okay, here's yeah. my idea. Now I'm doing this and I'm talking to people and reading about people like you. You're my second interview, uh, aside from my wife, <clears throat> as a practice. And there's an opportunity here and there's something that needs to be done. So damn it, I want to do it. I want to start sticking my head out there and, and right. finding people like, let's talk about this stuff, you know? Um, I, I agree. You know, you're, you're going to run into hurdles and I'm sure you've already run into hurdles. So- Oh God! Uh, you know, again, I so I've been at Breath and Shadow for uh, quite a few years, about sixteen years now. And after we've been in existence for twelve years, um, I uh, I compiled an anthology as a fundraiser. So I took you know, the mm-hmm. best of Breath. There's a, there's a book out there if you anybody in the audience wants On to buy Amazon. it, we'd appreciate yeah. it. It's called Dozen: The Best of Breath and Shadow, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a compilation of what I think are our best stories, poems, and essays written to that point. So Mm -hmm. I worked on this for over a year. Uh, We self-published it, and I made sure that all the proceeds went to Breath and Shadow to support our work so that we can pay our writers. And, you know, we sold maybe 500 copies. And I was voicing my dismay to uh, another... uh, disabled writer that I know. And she's like, Chris, what do you expect? You know, people don't want to read about people with disabilities. It's, Mm. it's, you know, again, they'd rather watch a video of a cat playing with a ball of yarn. So we have voices. I mean, depending on where you look, you know, upwards of 20% of Americans have some form of disability. Yeah. uh, Possibly more if you include, you know, mental illness. So we have stories that need to be told and we need the world to understand us. Um, But it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough road. And that's why Sharon actually started. I think she started breath and shadow because she was disabled and was writing and couldn't get anybody to publish her work. 
And <laughs> so she started this journal and she actually it started in Maine. And more and more and more as people found it online, they they said, hey, will you publish me? I live in Massachusetts. I live in you know Vermont. I live in New Arizona. And, and it just grew into a, more of a global publication because people want to be heard. And, you know, when I first started at the magazine back in, in 2006, we got eh, maybe five submissions a week. Um, nowadays, we probably get 50 to 100 a week. Um, oh, that's cool. COVID, well, <laughs> people found us over COVID. Quite honestly, I think I think people were at home spending a lot more time on the internet. They found Breath and Shadow, and so we have uh, a lot of a lot more submissions and a lot more um, international submissions. Well, anyone listening right now is going to be able to on on our website uh, for Life's a Road Trip is going to be a link to Breath and Shadow, and also I'll put one on there for uh, the book Dozen to be found on on Amazon. Now you're talking about some of these things that I want to start shooting off into and i want to talk about writing specifically and the the publishing industry because you've written a book called disconnected and we were communicating a little bit about and i've read that you're did you find an agent yet no not okay no so are you still pitching no i'm not okay so you i so i so i wrote disconnected i i i got some nibbles but i mm-hmm. i couldn't couldn't connect with an agent I wrote another book called um, Rub It In. I want to get into that one because I just freaking love the title. Let's say it. Yeah. It's a, you know, I I, I think it's good. (laughs) I I, I want to hold off on that one for a sec, man. Let's come around and build up the backstory of uh, publishing industry and getting in into that aspect and then right. we'll get into Rebidin, okay? Because I really so, want to right. pump this a little bit. So I, I wrote so, this I wrote this novel. I actually paid uh, an editor to professionally edit it. Uh oh. I think it's good. My friends think it's good. I you know I I, I belong to a critique group. I belong to a, a couple okay, of different good. writers group online. I've shared it. I've got okay. feedback. People love this book. Now you're talking about rub it in or disconnect rejection, rejection, rejection. Are you talking that, about rub it in or disconnect? I'm talking about rub it in. My my okay. second novel. Okay, so um, you dumped disconnected because yeah, you weren't I able to. And I okay. figured, well, my, okay. you know, I'll, I'll publish my second book, and then once it's popular, I'll I'll reissue disconnected, and you know, okay. and, and get that out there. That was. Have that you was been pitching? Thinking. Have you been pitching agents? Um, I I did. I haven't in a while. So so okay. I finished rub it in. I, I pitched agents. I got I got a lot of rejections. Um, my son who is a high school English teacher, had a friend mm. who is in the publishing world. There you go. I sent her agent. She worked for an agency in New York. I sent them a copy. They rejected it. I asked his friend, I was like, what, what needs, you know, why, what, what's, what's not hitting the mark here. And basically what she told me is like, like nobody wants to read a story about a blind guy. Um, and what even worse is she said, you need to make him more pathetic. And you know, so he needs to be sad and oh and then God. overcome it. And then he can be capable and competent at the end, but we don't want him capable and competent the whole time. And part of my okay. thinking in writing this book, because again, I know hundreds, I know hundreds of blind people who have families, who have jobs, who lead everyday average normal lives. They're contributing members of society. 
And that's mm-hmm. what I wanted this character to be. He's he's not a Superman. He doesn't have superpowers. He's a regular guy. In fact, he's, you know, his one of his biggest challenges is he's bitter over the world because they treat him like a blind guy and he just wants to be treated like a regular guy. Um, so this insight was disturbing to me that, you know, people don't want to read a story about. Well, you know, I think we got to, we have to understand though, Chris, that this is their industry and they understand where things, perhaps if it were to start off with, damn, my life sucks to finding out about life and proving yourself and that, you know, that uplifting good old American story. Yes. Okay. Cause I'll, I'll talk about my thing for a little bit. I had originally written a, a book about my handicap and then I had started a, I, uh, um, left coaching soccer at the college level and to start raising what turned out to be five adopted kids. Another, all right. So people like that. I got on NPR, couldn't find any, any, uh, uh, even any agents. And then, uh, once my youngest got into high school, I went back to coaching, um, was where everything changed and publishers like it. And I actually ha- have experienced two different agents because it, was more uplifting because here comes this handicapped guy back to coaching. Oh, yeah. He's raised yeah, yeah. five kids and I'm given a third level group of uh, 13 year olds and we end up winning a state championship and going undefeated. Well, there's your good old American story right there. Oh yeah. And that's what allowed me then to come back and end up having two different agents, but we ran, they ran into the brick wall of oh, needs a platform. So I ended up firing the last agent because she didn't even do any editing and things. So now I'm back doing this and I have learned so much now about how this is going to be going. So you got to get out. You got to find yourself an agent. It's going to do something for you because you do have a platform because you've you've got some publications that have been read and you also have a platform in Breath and Shadow. So you've got something out there to be able to show some numbers. So, so what I'll you tell you now that. is I, in, in, uh, late November, I actually self-published, uh, okay. a book, a collection of short stories that are interlinked called Morris. And I went that route because I was tired of trying the, the agent route and getting turned mm-hmm. down. And, um, we'll see, you know, it's, so it's, it's out, it's available. They're uh, going to be out Morris. there. If you come up with a good hook. You know, you might catch someone to be able to and, get in and touch and then go that's back. That's what I'm thinking is that if I can get some sales, because look, I, you know, I I was always reluctant to self-publish because, quite honestly, I have, I have a number of writing friends who have self-published their books, and when you read their books, you're like, yeah, I understand why this is self-published. It's not all that good. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, th- there's a stigma, and uh, there is there, but there's also, you know, there are some, some success stories. And what I wanted was to to get my work out there, and I'm encouraging by word of mouth, quite honestly, okay. to 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 get the word out there because I don't have a publisher behind me, uh, mm-hmm. backing me. Um, you know, I'm blind, so it makes it very difficult to do a road trip, a cross country trip, and do book readings True. and things like that. So, you know, my chances of achieving huge financial success are are probably quite small. But you never know. So far, the feedback on the book is good. Um, I've got a couple uh, really nice reviews on Amazon, and it's just been released. So okay. we'll see. Maybe we can build some momentum, and then you know what my my hope is that an agent or a publisher will be interested in me because they'll say, "Hey, this guy can write, and 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 he can okay. he can attract readers." 
And because uh, again, it's, it's money rules the world. And so they, they've got to think they can make money off of me. Well, I want to tell the listeners about this. And, and so it is up on Amazon. I can put a link to. Yes. To the book. Okay. So, so the listeners get an understanding. I, again, I just love the title. Um, your project uh, it's that you're working on now, you have it out there. It's, it's called Rub It In. And your mind can go all over the place no, no, thinking of Rub that, It no, In. It's, it's Morris. Oh, Morris. Okay. Morris is one. We need Morris to talk is about the book this, that so. I just published. Rub It In. So Got what it. I'm doing is I'm... I, I published Morris and I'm, I'm doing my marketing and, and, and publicity. That's part of the reason why I'm here. Um, I am currently trying to cut rub it in down. Um, okay. You know, one of the part of the feedback I got is that it was, it was too long. So, um, and I also changed the way that uh, Dan is the main character. So rub it in is a story of a blind massage therapist. I, and he gets involved a in a in a three way love triangle in that <laughs> he has a he has a, a customer that he massages who's wealthy and divorced and he's sick of paying his wife alimony. Uh, Dan is the main character and he's in financial trouble because he owns a two family house and he's got deadbeat tenants and he can't get rid of them because it's winter and the courts decided that you know to give them more time and he's in deep financial trouble. Um, his, his customer, his client basically hires him to date his ex-wife in hopes that she'll be interested in dating men and maybe getting married so he can stop paying her alimony. And of course, what happens is Dan, the blind guy falls in love with Marilyn, mm. the ex-wife, but he's got this bad secret. So that's, that's kind of the setup. It's a, it's, you know, you could call it a romantic comedy, um, rom-coms, you are could big. call it a relationship book. It's, um. Uh, but it's a story, you know, I like to write about real people in real situations. Um, and that's what, you know, Dan, Dan has his challenges and actually, you know, Marilyn helps him be a better person, um, which, you know, I, I think is what marriage is really all about. You know, if you, if you both make each other better, then mm -hmm. that's a good marriage. So um, Morris is so out. Morris is Morris on is Amazon. Out. And rub it in yep. is in the it's, it's being canned for right now. Okay, okay, that's what <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in the process I think you of, push that of rub it in. revising it to trim. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to trim okay. five thousand words out of it. Um, you could do that, and I'm doing this primarily hard. by I I changed a little bit of uh, how Dan went blind to try and make it a little bit more appealing. So I I had him going blind <laughs> through a sort of an obscure uh, allergic reaction to antibiotics called Stevens okay. Johnson syndrome. Um, that was a little boring. So instead, uh, the book starts off now. He's he's riding his uh, mountain bike with his fiance, and he has a an accident, and that's what causes his blindness. Um, okay, I, and, I just I and I'm, it, like I say, there's there's a couple extraneous characters that I'm trimming out of it to try and tighten up the book. Okay, um, okay. but the story is going to remain essentially the same. And I, you know, I am keeping him. He's you know he's capable competent blind person you know he, he's got a job he's got his own business he owns a house he's got a guide dog he's got friends he likes to go to the pub you know he's yeah. a regular guy blind it's it's and and you know that is my message to the world that you know that's what i try to do in my everyday life i trying to change the world is just too big <laughs> yeah. too big a problem but what i can do is if i am a good role model for people who know and see me around my town, 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I can impact the world and try and make people a little bit more compassionate, a little bit more empathetic, a little bit more understanding. You know, cool. when my kids were young and like you, my, my kids are grown now. And uh, but I walked them every day. I walked them to elementary school. I walked them into the class. I said hello to the teachers. And I've had over the years so many people stop me and they like, I know you. You're the blind guy who walks his kids to school. I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, that's how you get things out. I, w- I want to shift gears. <clears throat> we're going to start turning this down because I knew we, you and I get talking. About, man, if we were to get together sometime at a pub, we would be there, like I said, for hours. Um, and I'd be buying the first one. Um, I came across a photo of, I take it, this is you, a guy with a white, white cane driving a car. (laughs) Can I use that when I put as the the marker on it? I think that's just fantastic. I think it, it, it it works for what we're doing in so many ways. It kind of thumbs its nose at the world. And I I think that that's great. Right. I You know, it's funny because I, you know, so, so I went blind in 1997 and I used to have this old lady that lived next door to me. And, uh, I forget why, but I had to move my wife's car. And so I, you know, I go out, <laughs> I, I start the car and my old lady neighbor next door is like, you're not going to drive, are you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, by all, I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, I love coffee. it. And, uh, I put the car in reverse just to, you know, just because that's <laughs> just the kind of person I am. Yanker chain. And, and she called okay. the police. <laughs> <laughs> he called the police on me, which oh, this then, is fantastic. you know, I was laughing about this with my daughter and I said, look, we got to, you know, I said, you got to help me stage a photo where yeah. I'm, I'm driving the Subaru with a cane. And so I am literally, that's, that's my street. Um, and you know, we did it on a, you know, a Tuesday afternoon when there wasn't any traffic and she was on the other side of the street and I would, you know, I, I drove, <laughs> <laughs> I, drove down the, you know, I didn't go too far and you know the coast was clear and i kept the wheel straight um but it, it, it staged you know it was a stage photo but i thought it was funny and uh it got a pretty good response oh I, i'm using it man i'm using it okay so based on from that being in a car we're going to jump to wrapping up the show with the uh road trip roundup okay yeah all right so i've got five questions for you just you respond all right so first one is when you when you guys, uh, you and your wife or whoever, you know, going out on, on, uh, uh, road trips, what's your go-to fast food place? Okay. That's an interesting thing because my wife hates fast food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you're on a road trip, what are you going to do? Well, I guess you could stop at a we, diner, you know? Yes. Um, uh, well, it's, uh, I, 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 again, you know, over a beer, I could tell you lots of stories of, of, you know, looking for home cooking when we're on a road trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not that fussy. You know, I, I cannot recommend eating McDonald's, but, uh, you know, many times I, you know, there's a McDonald's and, you know, get a sausage biscuit and egg in the morning or mm. a couple of burgers and it, you know, okay. they, they put food in your belly. I personally would probably go for a Wendy's or a Taco Bell. I think they're a, a slightly higher quality. Um, but again, my wife is pretty anti fast food. Uh, so she would much prefer if we had a, you know, a, a, a granola bar and, uh, <laughs> and on, just babe. kept driving. <laughs> I need a burger. Okay. Uh, what's your dream car for a road trip? Doesn't have to be one that you have or have had. It would just be your dream car for a road trip. Uh, my, okay. So my dream car for a road trip would be a 1968 Shelby Mustang. Oh, good God. 
Oh man, I'm a I'm a Mustang okay. guy. I've owned I've owned two Mustangs, and uh, the next yes. time we do a podcast, I'll tell you about my my '69 Mach okay. One. Um, oh, man. I've got a lot of stories on it. Um, I, oh, I just what got rid beautiful. of it a couple of years ago, even though I mean, just sitting in my garage, rusting, and you know. But I always I love that car. Um, oh. But really, one of my favorite cars of all time is is a '68 Shelby. So that would be Carol my Shelby, Shelby's designs. Oh wow. Okay, next one. Uh, the last cassette or CD that played uh, in your car while you're on a road trip. That takes you back. Cassette or CD. Right. Um, well, it's, you know, so so my wife and I used to listen to books on tape, uh, mm. both on, on cassette and, and, and on CD. Um, probably the last CD we listened to on a road trip uh, this is kind of tricky. Um, Santana, oh, oh, 25 yes. years ago, did a he, he did an album where he played with you know Rob Thomas and uh, yep. you know and I can't even remember because I haven't played a CD in I, years. I, uh, <laughs> uh, that might have been the last one that we listened to. Oh God, good choice, very good choice. Okay, question four: Coke or Pepsi? Um, I'm a I'm a Diet Coke guy, if anything okay, at all, me too. but. I have to say, my mom was a Pepsi holic, and so mm. I always smile when I when I think of Pepsi. I think of my mom, um, okay. and, and that's a silly thing. But uh, she cracked a Pepsi at eight in the morning, and another one at eight at night. You know, I mean, she drank Pepsi mm -hmm. all day. She loved her Pepsi. So Sue and I but just I got back from Diet Coke. Sue and I just got back from uh, Europe, and I'm a Diet Coke drinker as well. And I've switched because over there they don't have Diet Coke; they have Coke Zero in a red can. Yeah. And it tastes a lot like Rick's like, okay, I've switched. So we'll now uh, in the fridge and the, and the beverage drawer is Coke zero. Yeah. And that's what I'll be taking with me when I have, uh, when I go substitute teaching today. Um, question number five, wrap it up. What's your favorite road trip memory? Uh, well, that's tricky. Uh, because I have done, you know, I'm 60 years old. <laughs> So do I talk about the Grateful Dead show I went to in Oxford, oh, Maine wow. back in 1989? We have to or, sit in the pub, Chris. We have to do oh, this, yes, man. Yeah. Oh, well, God. That's one of the things. We, we've, we've gone on vacation, and my wife and kids and my mother-in-law used to join us, and they love to shop. And honest to God, I'm not lying. I said, just find a pub and mm. put me in the pub <laughs> and come pick me up when you're done. Because <laughs> I have no interest in shopping uh, whatsoever. Okay. And, you know, a blind guy at a pub, uh, it's it's very easy to make friends. People mm -hmm. are like, are you blind? I'm like, yeah. And then and the next thing you know, you're chatting, having a beer. You know, it's, okay. a, it's a pretty easy way to go. But so in 1995, when I still worked for Siba uh, Geige, I got to go to Switzerland for business. And my wife, what we did is we took a week vacation. She came over. We left our son with my parents. And we... We toured Switzerland and we had, it was incredible, especially the beauty, the beauty of the Alps. And, you know, it's, it's, it's indescribable. And I'm so glad I did it while mm -hmm. I could see, you know, my, my last sighted road trip. So in, in, uh, the fall of 1996, I was blind in one eye and I was going blind in the other eye and my doctor told me I was going to have to have surgery within a couple of weeks. 
and I left the doctor's office and I went to a travel agent and I booked us tickets to Arizona because I'd never seen the Grand Canyon. And I thought, if I'm going blind, I need to get to Arizona. I want to see the Grand Canyon. And that was a bit of a miraculous trip too. I mean, nothing, nothing miraculous in that I had a shift in mindset. Um, you know, I, I saw the Grand Canyon. I saw it both in sunny, beautiful weather. We got to be there when it was snowing. And there were like these like, almost like uh, tornado vortexes of snow inside the canyon. It was really spectacular. And it was a, a very memorable trip that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that I went on. We are going to stop on that because we cannot finish any way better trying to report something about... Um, handicap and disabled people in, in your story than that, because that was gripping. I mean, thank you for sharing that. I, sure. I, I hope that felt good. So um, we're going to say goodbye here with each other, but I want to stay on for a couple of minutes. Okay. Okay, Scott. Thanks for listening. Check out previous episodes with new ones dropping each Tuesday. If you don't see a synopsis of this show where you're listening, visit our website at lifesaroadtrip.podbean.com for more information on this week's guest. This is your host, Scott Martin, reminding you that life's a road trip. 